Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. Hey guys, want to welcome you back to part two of our series Inside Out. I'm Pastor Tim. If it's your first time, welcome. In fact, I'm not here today because I am in Africa. Very excited to be on a clean water trip with my wife, Colleen. We're excited to bring back a great report about what's going to be happening in Africa this fall. But today I want to introduce you to a close friend of mine. His name is Rich Velotis, and he serves as the lead pastor of New Life Fellowship Church in Queens, New York. So Rich is a brother from another mother. And we're uh, really excited to have him here today. Uh, Rich is a very dynamic communicator, phenomenal Bible teacher. He also is a partner with Pete Scazzaro in the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality Training for church leaders all over the world. So you're gonna learn a lot today. Let me encourage you to take your program notes out, click your pen, and would you give a big liquid welcome to my friend, Pastor Rich Velotis. Thank you. Good morning, Liquid. Good morning. I am Tim's brother from another mother. All right. I like that. I like that. Uh, I want to take the time also to extend a welcome to those watching from New Brunswick campus, the Nutley, the Mountainside campus. It is a joy uh, to be here with you. As Tim mentioned, I have the privilege of pastoring a church called New Life Fellowship in Queens. We are a church with over 73 nations represented in our church. So it's a beautiful church and a very confusing uh, place to be. And uh, our heart is to serve um, the poor and marginalized in Central Queens. We're in one of the more p- poor areas in Central Queens. And so, but it's a joy to be with you guys. And I first heard of Liquid Church in 2008. I was pastoring at a church in Brooklyn, and I uh, put on USA Today on the internet, and I saw a website of a church doing a gas giveaway. And I was just like, what's this about, gas giveaway? And it brought me to like NewJersey.com as well, and I read the whole article about it. And I was just so blown away by your generosity and your compassion and, and your heart to see people get to know who Jesus is. I went on uh, online, I sent him an email, just said, dude, I love what you're doing here. And I've been following you guys uh, since 2008. So I love what you guys are doing here in Jersey. It's, a, it's really an honor to be here with you. Now, Tim kicked us off last week and, uh, on this uh, series called Inside Out. And so if you have a Bible, you can turn with me to Psalm 139. Uh, we'll get there in a moment. But um, I want to just pray for us that we will be open to what God wants to say to us uh, this morning here uh, at Liquid. So would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for uh, the gift that we get to to sing to you, to to offer our hearts, our deepest longings, our deepest uh, hopes, our fears, our anxiety to you. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to us through the power of the Holy Spirit today, that we would walk out of this, this room knowing that Jesus is alive, knowing that he can transform our lives from the inside out. And so we offer this time to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said... Amen. Uh, Last week, Tim kicked us off on a series called Inside Out, and it's based on the movie uh, that is currently out. And this series really is about emotionally healthy spirituality, emotionally healthy spirituality. And and, uh, Tim did a fantastic job laying out a foundation about a God who feels, 
a God who feels. And because we're made in the image of God, we too have been made to feel and to be drawn to God through our feelings. And so emotionally healthy spirituality is essentially about two things. It's about us paying attention to our inner space and our outer pace. Our inner space, what's, what's happening inside of us, and our outer pace. And I took my daughter this past week uh, to see uh, Inside Out, my six-year-old daughter named Karis, and uh, she had a wonderful time. It's actually her second time watching the movie. And the story uh, is centered around an 11-year-old girl named Riley, who has suffered really the trauma of leaving her hometown in Minnesota and everything that came with Minnesota, the cold weather, the hockey, the family, the friends. And she goes to San Francisco with her family. And so it's traumatic for her. And what we begin to see, it's what's happening inside her mind, all of the emotions that are raging inside of us. And so this is an 11-year-old girl. We're seeing the, the emotions inside of her. So as Tim said last week, this is a horror movie. This is a horror movie. I'm thinking five years from now, that little girl is going to be thinking, oh, all of these thoughts, uh, it was disgusting. You know what I'm saying? So, but what the movie does is, uh, it, it does so incredibly well, is it, it lets us know that we are not fully human until we learn to integrate the emotions that are inside of us. For example, in one scene, uh, we see how joy uh, plays a significant role in Riley's development of her memories and, and who she is as a human being. Check out this clip. Anyway, these are Riley's memories, and they're mostly happy, you'll notice, not to brag. But the really important ones are over here. I don't want to get too technical, but these are called core memories. Each one came from a super important time in Riley's life. Uh, like when she first scored a goal. Oh, that was so amazing. memory powers a different aspect of Riley's personality. Like Hockey Island. Goofball Island is my personal favorite. Come back here, you little monkey. <laughs> yep, Goofball is the best. Ah, oh, such a good movie, such a good movie. Now, in order to live this this life inside out, this inside out life that we're talking about, it means that we have to intentionally look beneath the surface of our lives. Now, every now and then when I'm home, I sit on the couch and I channel surf looking for a good movie to watch. And there's some movies, you know, you've seen those movies before that when, you, when they come on, you stop everything that you're doing, regardless of where you're picking up in the movie, to sit down and watch the rest of it. When Gladiator comes on, whatever I'm doing, I stop what I'm doing and I sit down and I watch. My wife goes, aren't you supposed to finish the dishes? Uh-uh, Gladiator's on. We're going to finish right here. Whenever Shawshank Redemption comes on, I stop whatever I'm doing and I go, we're going to watch Shawshank. Shank Redemption. Whenever Lord of the Rings comes on, part one, part two, part three, part ten, whatever, whatever part comes on, I'm stopping whatever I'm doing to watch Lord of the Rings. And one movie, one of my favorite movies to watch is the movie Titanic. I love Titanic. Rich man up. I love 
Titanic, Leonardo DiCaprio, Celine Dion. I know she's not in the mess, not Celine Dion, but, but she sings the songs and everything like that. I love me some Titanic. And this past week, as I was watching it again, uh, I was struck by a contrast that you see in the movie. I was taken aback by it. On the upper decks of the ship, if you've seen the movie, uh, we see amazing luxury, we see wealth, we see opulence, we see abundance. They got it going on on the upper deck of of the ship. And and after a few days, uh, the Titanic hit an iceberg. And at that part of the movie, we begin to see a terrifying contrast. It's actually a terrifying contrast. That in the upper decks of the ship, they are totally oblivious to what's happening on the lower decks of the ship. And so they're still living as if everything is fantastic. The abundance, the luxury, the opulence. They are having a great time in the upper deck of the ship. But what we see in below the ship is chaos. Utter chaos. And soon enough... The issues from the lower deck of the ship begin to rise so much so that this is what happens at the end of the movie. I don't want to spoil it for you. This is what happens at the end of the movie. We see what happens. And this is a great picture of what happens in our lives, what's happening in our lives today. For some of us, this is your life today. You're capsizing. You're going under. And a lot of times what happens is when the issues of the lower deck of our lives, what's happening inside of us, are not addressed, they come to the surface and we capsize. And for most of us, this is a picture of our lives. On the surface of our lives, we give the impression that everything is fantastic. How you doing? Blessed. Not stressed, well-dressed. You know, I, 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 am, I feel great about myself. My Instagram shows it. My Facebook profile is always the best prof- picture for the profile. You don't put a messed up picture. I am fantastic. And on the inside, some of you, you came, you came to church this morning in the car fighting the kids in the back there. You know, it's, everything is not Fantastic. But we give the impression that everything is great, yet there's chaos in the lower deck of our lives. And all too often, we don't take the time to go to the lower deck of our lives, to explore what's happening beneath the surface of our lives. And so consequently, there are two different realities taking place. All too often is what happens in the lower deck, sooner or later, capsizes us. Now, when it comes to the spiritual life, When it comes to following Jesus and being a church family, a church community, going beneath the surface tends to be ignored. But this is what we're called to do. Actually, in our church, at New Life in in Queens, we we don't have an official logo. We have a logo, but really our unofficial official logo is the iceberg. It's the iceberg. And we have that, and we talk about it so much at our church, ironically for today, because 10% of of the iceberg is seen, 90% of the iceberg is not seen. And when you become a follower of Jesus, Jesus doesn't just want to change what's happening on the surface of your life. He just doesn't want to change some behavioral stuff. He doesn't just want to change your wardrobe. He just wants to change the the way you speak. He wants to change you from the deepest part of your being. He wants to change every facet, every aspect of your life. But what happens is looking beneath the surface of our lives tends to be overlooked 
or ignored totally. But we've come to the conclusion at New Life that we understand this core idea that emotional health and spiritual maturity are inseparable. Another way of saying it is it's impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. It is impossible to be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. That is to say this, you can read all the Bible every day of the week, quoting the Psalms, quoting everything, but if someone offers a critical remark to you and you get super defensive and shut down, it's not an indication of our spiritual maturity, it's an indication of our spiritual immaturity. We can come to church all the time. We can come to two services on a Sunday. But if we don't know how to resolve conflict, if we don't know what's happening on the inside of our lives, it's not an indication of our spiritual maturity. It's an indication of our spiritual uh, immaturity. And so at its core, emotionally healthy spirituality is about the integration of all of our emotions to lead a healthy life, to lead a life that is pleasing to God. Now, when it comes to emotions, uh, many of us have, different, have heard different messages about emotions as it pertains to our spiritual development, as it pertains to our discipleship, our spiritual formation. We've heard many people say, you can't trust your emotions. And so what happens is we stuff our sadness, we stuff our grief, we stuff our anger. We, we, we have no permission to be sad. I came from a house. My, my mother did not give me much permission to be sad. What's wrong? My, my, my dog just died. My mother was of the, uh, you know, optimistic person that, look at it this way, honey. You could have had two dogs that died. You, there's only one dog died. Cheer up, baby. But I love that dog, man. And so consequently, we carry these messages into our spirituality, into our discipleship. And we hear these words that you cannot trust your emotions. Or we've heard it said this way, and Tim talked about it last week, that the order of it is facts, faith, and then feelings. And if you get to feelings, that's fine. But if you don't get to feelings, don't worry about it. It's all right. As long as you have the right facts and as long as you have faith, don't worry about feelings. But we gather every Sunday. At Liquid, we gather every Sunday at New Life. We gather every Sunday in churches around the world to be reminded that Jesus Christ doesn't just want a piece of us. Jesus wants every aspect of our lives. He wants all of us. And he wants us to submit every aspect of our being to us. He died and resurrected not to get a piece of us. He died and resurrected to get all of us. And all of us is really comprised of this here. This is a little chart here that shows us the different parts of who we are. We are social beings. Jesus wants that. The intellectual beings, he wants our mind. Spiritual beings, obviously. Physical beings and emotional beings. And this emotional piece of who we are tends to get overlooked in what it means to be followers of Jesus. But because we have not understood the role that emotions play in our spiritual development and our spiritual formation, we are dangerously unaware, dangerously unaware, and we tend to ignore our emotions. I like what Dan Allender said. Dan Allender said these words. He says, ignoring our emotions is turning our back on reality. Listening to our emotions ushers us into reality, and reality is where we meet God. Emotions are the language of the soul. They are the cry that gives the heart a voice. 
However, we often turn a deaf ear through emotional denial, distortion, or disengagement. We are frightened and ashamed of what leaks into our consciousness. In neglecting our intense emotions, we are false to ourselves and lose a wonderful opportunity to know God. We forget that change comes through brutal honesty and vulnerability before God. And in order to live this kind of life, it means that we go beneath the surface of our lives. And so what does it mean to be an emotionally healthy community? What does it mean to be an emotionally healthy person, emotionally healthy mom, emotionally healthy dad, emotionally healthy teacher, emotionally healthy police officer, emotionally healthy business uh, manager, whatever? What does it mean to be an emotionally healthy church? And here we turn to Psalm 139, where we get some direction and guidance from David, who writes this psalm. In Psalm 139, I'm going to pick up towards the end of the psalm, hear the word of God. David writes, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any way of pain in me and lead me in the way everlasting. It's a beautiful prayer to pray. Let's all pray it together. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any way of pain in me and lead me in the way everlasting. The book of Psalms is the prayer book for the people of God. And if we're going to grow in our spiritual formation, our spiritual development, the book of Psalms is imperative that we read. Eugene Peterson, a great author, he said it this way. He says these words. He says, if we wish to develop in the life of faith, to mature in our humanity, and to glorify God with our entire heart, the Psalms are necessary. We cannot bypass the Psalms. They are God's gift to us to train us in prayer that is comprehensive and honest. If you read the book of Psalms, you you see it, that you see the full range of human emotion. It's filled with words of human beings offering their hearts to God. And, and, And every spectrum of anger and sadness and despair and joy and fear, all of it is mixed in the book of Psalms. And you notice from right at the beginning, these are not nursery songs. These are not children. This is raw, authentic. I'm pouring my heart, my emotions, my feelings out to God. Actually, two-thirds of the psalms, two-thirds of the psalms are psalms of grief and lament. Two-thirds of them are psalms of grief. God, where are you? God, why did this happen? Two-thirds of the psalms are psalms of grief and lament. And so if the psalms are the prayer book for the people of God, These words are to become our words. We are to ingest these words. We are to to take these words into the very deepest parts of our being and offer our lives to God. And so at the beginning of Psalm 139, we, we, we see the heart of a person who is a model of emotional health. We see that in David. And David begins the psalm with these words. He says, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know, when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Now, notice something. David is overwhelmed with grief. Not with grief, but with gratitude because God knows everything about him and still claims him as his own. And it's beautiful. God knows everything about David and God knows everything about you. And God still claims you as 
his own. He knows your sadness. He knows your joy. He knows your disappointments. He knows your lust. He knows your fears. He knows everything about you, and he claims you as his own. And so David begins, Lord, you know everything about me. And, and he continues to talk about how God knows him. And this is what he says next. He says, where shall I go from your spirit? I can't hide from you. Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, the grave, if I make my bed in hell, you are there. And these words are, are, are not David recognizing that God is some kind of cosmic NSA. God knows everything about us and he's stalking us. This is a God who knows everything about us and he is fully present to us and he loves us. And after that, he writes these words. For you formed me in my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Hear those words. God recognized you. You're not an accident. You're not here out of God formed you. God knit you in your mother's. He knows everything about you. And so listen, the trajectory of the, of the psalm is that David is talking about how does God, he knows everything about me. And at the end of the psalm, we see this interesting shift take place. Because although God knows everything about David, David recognizes, I don't know everything about myself. God, you know me, but I don't know me. So search me, Lord. And what it, show me, not just show, not show me me. Lord, show me what you see and lead me in the way everlasting. God, show me what I need to see. And this is a, a cry of David to be aware. And this is the heart of an emotionally healthy person. Now, most of the time, uh, our prayers are, Lord, show me you. Lord, I want to see your glory. I want to see who you are. I want to get to know you more. And God is saying, I want you to get to know you more as well. God, show me me. And so as we look at this psalm, what does it mean that we are an emotionally healthy community? What does it mean that we are emotionally healthy parents, that we are emotionally healthy teachers? What does this mean? Well, minimally, it means this, that we take the time to listen to our interior world. We take the time to listen to our interior world. Search me, he says. And the psalms are to be read slowly and contemplatively, reflectively. Lord, show me, search me, and show me me. But this is not how we typically live. We don't typically live praying this psalm in the, in the course of a day. Instead, what happens is we avoid ourselves. And I actually think much of life is a strategy to avoid ourselves. I think much of life is a strategy to avoid ourselves. It's, e it's easy to entertain ourselves, but we avoid ourselves. And much of our workaholism is a strategy to avoid our pain, to avoid our sadness, to avoid our grief. Now, don't get me wrong, to, to look within and listen to our interior world can be pretty painful. But do you know what's more painful than refusing to listen to your, to, to listen, to listening to your interior world? Not listening to your interior world. When I was in college, I, um, I needed a car, and so I had a, saved a little bit of money, and I went online, 
and I bought a 1995 Nissan Altima with 100,000 miles on it, 100,000 miles on it. I said, this will get me, hopefully, through college. And so I, I bought the car, and I, I am not a mechanic by any stretch of the imagination. I know how to put gas in the car. I know how to turn the car on. I know how to park the car. I'm from Brooklyn. I know how to parallel park the car. I know how to do all of that. But where, how do you open the hood? I, you know, that's basically the nature of the conversation when it comes to what's happening in the car. Where is that button that opens up the hood? And so one day, as I'm driving, I begin to hear uh, this noise as I'm driving, this I'm like, what is that? That's a bit odd. And, and it's, it starts to get increasingly just annoying. Just and louder the faster I drive. And so I'm just like, I don't even know what that is. It's annoying me. And so this is what I'll do. It was annoying me so much, I just lifted the windows up and put the music up there. And I, and I was just driving there. Oh, I don't hear it now. And I just drive it because I'm happy up alone. If you, I'm driving and still, that song wasn't out then, but, and I'm still driving. And, and all of a sudden, a couple of days go by, and I'm on the highway going from upstate New York down to Brooklyn. And as on an early Sunday morning, thankfully there's no traffic, as I'm driving down, the music blasted, and all of a sudden the tire explodes. Just boom! And the car veers over to the side, and, and it didn't stop whooping because I put some music higher. And for many of us, we, we avoid ourselves. We turn the music up of our lives, we get busy, we, we avoid it, but, but just because we avoid it does not mean that there's no more whooping. At some point or another, whatever is in our life is going to come to the surface and explode. And so, the, what's, is it dangerous to look within? It is. Do you know what's more dangerous? Not looking within. And so, we try to do our best to avoid ourself. And really, three reasons. Why do we avoid ourselves? Uh, how, how do we avoid ourselves? Really, the pace of our lives. We, we live, our lives are so packed. Our schedules are so full. Who has time to look within? I got stuff to do. And so our pace of life mitigates against looking within. The other reason we don't look within is because of rules that we have been handed down from our family. Every one of you in this room, your family has rules about particular emotions that are acceptable and those emotions that are unacceptable. In my family, I come from a Puerto Rican household, and uh, in my Puerto Rican household, my mother left no room, there's no room for sadness in this house. No, but my, my, my dog, and there's no room for sadness. And as I like to say, we don't do sadness, we do salsa. That's what we do, you know. It's just a, who's sad? Throw on some music. Let's just dance, baby. We're going to be okay. Let's just dance the night away. And all of you in this room, your family has handed you rules that said these emotions are acceptable. Joy, happiness, you can be as joyful as you want, but do not grieve in front of me. Do not be angry in front of me. And certain things that have been shown down. But so we don't look within because of our pace of life. We don't look within because of rules that our family, many times so inconsistent with what it means to be made in the image of God and to be a follower of Jesus. And the third reason we don't want to look within is because of fear. What will I find if I look within? Isn't this one of the reasons why many of you, you've been postponing your doctor's visit 
for a long time. Because what if I go and they show me something I really don't want to see? And so we'd rather just postpone it a little bit more because of the fear of what am I going to find when I examine that area there. We'd rather live with ignorance than to truly hear challenging news. Richard Rohr has said it this way. He says, many of us avoid the path of self-knowledge because they are afraid of being swallowed up in their own abysses. But Christians have confidence that Christ has lived through all the abysses of human life and that he goes with us when we dare to engage in sincere confrontation with ourselves. Because God loves us unconditionally along with our dark sides, we don't need to dodge ourselves. In the light of this love, the pain of self-knowledge can be at the same time the beginning of our healing. I love that. The the, the pain of self-knowledge can be at the same time the beginning of our healing. So what does it mean to be an emotionally healthy person? What does it mean to look beneath the surface of our life? What are we trying to do? Essentially, this is what we're trying to do. We're looking to listen to God's word to us from inside of us. God has a word to speak to you from inside of you. And we have, there's different ways to hear God's word. We hear God through scripture. We hear God through worship. We hear God through community, through counsel, through advice. But one of the ways that God wants to give us revelation of who he is and who we are is to look within. And God says, there's so much I want to show you if you take the time to look beneath the surface. And notice and at the end of the psalm, and David, he doesn't just want self-knowledge. He wants to be led in the way everlasting. David wants freedom. He doesn't want, well, I know what's happening inside. He just doesn't want that as an end. He wants to know what's happening here so that God would use that knowledge now to lead him in the way everlasting. And so this invitation to look within, to do what we're calling inside out, to do emotionally healthy spirituality is not just for greater self-knowledge. It's also for our own freedom that God wants to offer to us. God wants to speak to us. And so the question we need to be asking is, Lord, what are you trying to say to me through me? What are you trying to say to me through me? This is the heart of an emotionally healthy person. This is what made David so great. David is known as a man after God's own heart. He's so broken. But the reason why he's a man after God's own heart is because David gave God access to every part of who he is. He said, God, you can have everything, every as- not just my work life, not just my home, every aspect of who I am, Lord, it is yours. This is what made David a man after God's own heart. And this is the invitation for us as well, to be the kind of people that we give God access to every aspect of our lives. And listen, to do this might be scary. To do this, you're thinking, what am I going to find when I go down there? But here's the good news of the gospel. The good news of the gospel is that when we go there, Jesus promises to go with us. And if there's anyone who understands darkness, it is Jesus. Jesus has been to the deepest darkness. Jesus has experienced the the, the worst that you can ever experience. He knows every fear that you carry. He knows every darkness that you experience. And so when you go to those places beneath the surface of your life, he goes with you. And not only does he go with you, he takes you up as well. He takes you out of it. 
He knows the deepest, darkest places, but he also knows how to bring new life out of the deepest, darkest places of our lives. And so we do not go alone. He dies for us, and he resurrects into newness of life. And this is what he has for us as well. Most of us, we want a resurrected kind of life. We just don't want the cross. <laughs> Can I have the resurrection without the Is that a possibility? And he say, no, it's not a possibility. But if you go to the cross... I promise you resurrection. I promise you newness of life. I promise you a new future. And so how do we put uh, flesh on this? Um, I want to lead you through uh, an exercise. I want to invite Jason to come up here as we do this exercise. And this exercise is called Explore the Iceberg. Explore the Iceberg. And so if you have, uh, if you want to, if you need to write on, take out a pen or a pad, if you have your cell phone, you can take out your cell phone. Um, don't go on Facebook right now, right? Just wait a second. Uh, take out your notepad on your, uh, maybe very specific, your note section uh, for your Evernote, whatever you have there. And I'm going to, we're actually going to do this. What, what David says, we're going to do this through an exercise called Explore the Iceberg. And it's based on uh, four very simple questions that I'll explore in a moment. And the goal is that I'm going to give you about 25 to 30 seconds um, after each question, there's four questions, for you to look beneath the surface in a prayerful way, to say, God, this is what I'm experiencing. What are you trying to say to me, through me? And Tim, last week, he gave us a list of psalms to read uh, every day. What I'd like to invite you to consider is that uh, every day this week, that you take five to 10 minutes to do this exercise which is essentially a fleshing out of Psalm 139. And so the first question uh, that I want you to explore, really in the presence of God, is this. What are you sad about? What are you sad about? Maybe you want to just write that down. Maybe it's a relationship that ended, loss of a job, sickness. What are you sad about today? Take a couple of seconds to do that. second question, and if you're still at there, you can keep writing there, but the second question is, what are you mad about? What are you angry about? Maybe this happened last night, something happened last night, maybe something happened last century, and you're still angry about it. Just pour out your heart before God. What are you mad about? this point in the exercise, I like to say, what else are you mad about?
next question is, what are you anxious about? What's causing anxiety to rise up inside of you? All of a sudden, your eye is twitching. You're like, why is my eye twitching? What is that about? What are you anxious about? Just pour out your heart before God. Finally, what are you glad about? What's giving you joy today? What's something that happened this past week, this past month? What are you glad about? This is a great opportunity to offer your thanks and gratitude to God. Now, before we sing together and really as a response to God's goodness to us, this week, as God leads you, take five, ten minutes. Maybe there's just one of those questions you need to really focus on and say, really, I am really sad, but, but why am I so sad? Have you ever been sad? You realize, I don't even know why I'm sad. Angry? I don't even know why I'm really angry. And the question is, Lord, what are you trying to show me through me? Lead me in the way everlasting. So what I'd like to do, I want to invite the, um, the spiritual care team to come forward because we're going to have some, uh, a song in response. But I imagine in a room this size that there are certain things that are being opened up right now. There's certain uh, sadness in your heart that you're finally articulating to God. Some anger, you're finally articulating to God. Some anxiety, you're finally articulating to God. And in order to follow uh, in the way of Jesus, you can't do it alone. You need people to pray with you, to be there for you. And this is why we offer a a time of prayer and folks like here up front to pray with you and to pray for you. And so uh, we're going to sing a song of worship. And as God leads you, if you want to receive prayer, you can come up um, to have someone just pray with you and pray for you. And may God just uh, lead you and guide you as you look beneath the surface of your life to experience his goodness and his power and his grace in ways you haven't experienced before. Let's pray together. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would break every shackle in this room, every piece of bondage that we've been enslaved to, every piece of sadness that we've never given over to you that has paralyzed us, every anger that has made us into a person that we know we do not want to be. We want to be free from that anger. Lord, I pronounce your freedom in Jesus' name. The fear, the anxiety that has paralyzed us, Lord, I pray you would give us boldness. Help us understand what's happening beneath the surface of our lives so that you would lead us in the way everlasting. And so, Lord, we cannot change in our own willpower. We need the power of your spirit. 
And so, Lord, I pray you would empower us. You would make us into the people you long for us to be. Surround us with the people that we need in order to live this kind of life where we live beneath the surface, allowing you to transform not just the surface stuff, but the stuff beneath as well. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your power. We thank you for your presence, that you've been to the deepest darkness and you've came out of it alive. And you offer newness of life to us as well. And so, Lord, we sing to you now words of worship, words of praise, words of gratitude. It's in Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.